Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This week I'm going to go back to serial killer territory because I don't think we've covered one in a while. I could be wrong though, but you know, I don't think I we don't have. I don't think we have. No, it's we'll have obviously... Strangler time. Yeah, that's true. But serial killers, we've kind of missed them for a while. So, this episode I am going to tell you about Patrick Mackay. Have you heard of Patrick Mackay? Or it may be Mackay, just a heads up. I want to say it is Mackay, though. So have you heard of right. him? Um, no, I've not, actually. So I'm looking forward to this. I hadn't either. Like, again, nobody is shocked about our answers there. However, we should have heard about him. He is a serial killer and is mental. Okay, so I will just begin. Patrick Mackay was born on the 25th of September 1952. He lived with his mum, Marion, who was from Guyana, and his father, Harold, who was a Scottish accountant. He had two younger sisters who were born in 1954 and 1957, and he grew up in Kent. A little background on his parents first. So Harold, his father, was from the UK, and he was known to be a soft-spoken and kind man and he just wanted to live a simple life and become an accountant. Sadly, before he could fulfil this life, World War II broke out and so he had to go to war and he enlisted in the army. Whilst fighting in the war, he saw some awful things which understandably messed with his head. One prominent event that he had gone through was that his entire battalion was attacked and Harold was the only survivor. So you can only imagine how that would affect someone. The only survivor out of everyone he, you know, fought with and protected. And he was the only one left. Now, once he came back from the war, Harold tried to move on with this. And this was a time as well that, you know, mental health, it wasn't really a priority for people to seek help. And he didn't. So he just tried to push on. And he did. He became an accountant and he got married just like he had first planned. He and his wife then got pregnant and things were looking up. Sadly though, this was not to remain the case because during childbirth, both his baby and his wife died due to complications. So this threw Harold to the curb. Like, it's awful. He has been through a lot at this stage. Like, I can't even imagine. And he started to drink. And he started to drink a lot. And he became an alcoholic. In a final attempt to try and pull his life back together, he decided to make a fresh start. And this is when he moved to Guyana, which at the time was a British colony. Colony? Colony, sorry. And it's also, it's in South America, if anybody needs it on a map. He took a job as an accountant at a sugar plantation. And this is where he met Marion. And they soon married. So, as you would expect, Caitlin running away from his life did not work and you guessed it his problems followed him and the alcoholism worsened soon i was gonna say tell me she didn't die as well actually no 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 thankfully marion did not die throughout his life if that's any help now soon into the marriage though marion became pregnant 
which Harold, he was happy with. However, that's when the abuse began to properly start and it was physical. At one stage, Harold actually kicked Marion in the stomach whilst pregnant with Patrick. Everything was okay. He didn't do any damage on the outside. Who knows if he had anything to do with the type of person Patrick became. I'm no, obviously, professional in anything. So that's for you to kind of mull over once you've heard more about Patrick. Could this have been an issue? Or to be honest, absolutely nothing about it. Who knows? Now, after Harold and Marion had their two daughters to complete the family, Harold moved them back to the UK, where he then drank himself to death. Harold was a very abusive man and he took it all out on his wife and also on Patrick. He never ever took it out on his daughters, which Patrick could not understand why, and he found this very frustrating. The only time he would actually bond with his father in like a father-son kind of manner would be when Patrick would sit with him and Harold would tell him all about the war and the stories from it. Now, these were also violent stories and like nothing was held back, you know, like I've heard some stories, you know, from grandparents, etc. about the war, but like it's nothing like, oh, my whole You hear about army. this sometimes, you he- sorry, you hear about this sometimes though where people do like, it's like the father-son thing, they just don't really get it. But with daughters, it's a complete different thing. It's bizarre, but I've heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't understand it, but obviously we're not fathers. Now, skip to 1962. When Patrick is 10 years old, his father dies of a heart attack, which is caused due to his drinking, and he dies. His last words to Patrick were, remember to be good. This clearly fell on deaf ears, because you would assume with this death it's death <laughs> yeah. oh sorry um it would be a relief because there'd be no more violence in the house and you know it kind of like make things kind of go back to normal however it went the complete opposite direction and Patrick got more and more violent his behavior got worse and everything was going downhill now at school Patrick was a school bully and a violent one at that. He would brutally beat up people, including smashing their heads off of the curb and things like that. So it wasn't any minor behaviours here. It wasn't like he was calling people names, etc. He was a bully. He was also known for throwing violent tantrums if he didn't get his own way or if someone told him no. He also threw these tantrums if someone sat in his dad's chair in the living room because only he could sit in it. Now, also, if his mum showed any favouritism or attention towards his sisters, off Patrick would go on another tantrum or he would become violent towards them. Now, this behaviour was also mostly always targeted towards his mum, as if she hasn't suffered enough. Now, Marion, she soon lost it and she had a nervous breakdown as she couldn't take it anymore. Considering she endured it from his father and now from Patrick, she has had a time of it but she ended up collapsing on the floor and she was hospitalized for four months throughout the time she was in hospital patrick was sent from home to home to anyone who would take him such as you know friends family neighbors shock horror though do we know sorry i was just gonna say do we actually know what she was hospitalized with was it just like i'm not saying just but was it stress 
I think it was stress. I think everything that was leading up, like, I don't know the exact, it was mostly just said, like, a mental breakdown or nervous breakdown. But I think it was just everything because he was getting in so much trouble that, and she was also getting abused, etc. She just couldn't take it. And I think things just boiled up that she just couldn't cope or do anything, you know, if that makes sense. I know it's not a diagnosis. I don't have one. Sorry. <laughs> um. I don't as well know actually what happened to the sisters. I'm guessing they also got moved around or like stayed with someone, but there's nothing really mentioned about them. Um, but with Patrick, though, it's not really a shock because he didn't last long in anyone's house as they were all fed up with his behaviour and they didn't want to keep him anymore. But eventually, Marion, she did get released from the hospital after four months and she got her family back together. By this point, though, his behaviour, as in Patrick's, hadn't gotten any better. It actually worsened. Now, the police were now involved in his life and they were called up to the house at least four times a week because of his actions. At around this time, Patrick even started to torture animals, which, you know, serial killer alert, if I do say so myself. Um, he was seen by neighbours killing animals such as birds, rodents and squirrels. He was seen to go and throw them up in the air. And also with regards to the birds, he would pin them to the road and watch them get run over and killed. It also escalated and he moved on to his family pet, which was a tortoise. What can you do to a tortoise? No, not the pet, not the pet. Yep. Well, he roasted it alive on an open fire. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Which is just, I don't even know where you would begin with that. But he also walked about town with a pitchfork and he even threatened an older woman with it. Now, he stole from people's gardens, such as, you know, garden ornaments and things, chickens, etc. And he also set fire to beach huts just for fun. So this young boy is out of control and he is angry. Now, adding to this behaviour, Patrick also became obsessed with... Nazis and he looked them up oh. and he looked up to them I think as well. this is like do you know nowadays though that would be a huge diagnosis there'd be loads of help in place but it is it's I think it's like a generational thing where probably nothing was really done and as you're saying they were just like this is behavior this is him being bad this is where no actually... no 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 just you wait miss miss oh Caitlin. sorry I was getting too excited yeah but too excited but I get sorry. where you're coming from definitely back in the day less was done compared to yeah. now shall Cause we like say I think like you know his dad's died so like that is probably a lot of it where like this abusive person is now out of your life whereas it is I, I get you but okay I'll shush now yeah now we're on to the Nazis obviously he looked up to them and people were saying this is more just speculation that because of his father's war stories some folk have said it could have been a way for him to get back at his dad because he obviously fought against them like the nazis in world war Two. Oh. but again yeah but it's not a fact it is just speculation but it does sound like a pretty good reasoning to me but again like i said I am not a professional in anything. Now, Patrick also started... You put yourself down a lot this episode. You're good at what you do. Thanks. Stop 
Now, he also uh, started setting places of worship on fire. When he was only 11 years old, he set fire to curtains in a Catholic church, which in turn got him a spot in a borstal for his behaviour, finally. From then on, though, Patrick was in and out of juvenile custody and then subsequently went old enough jail. From the age of 11 to 22, he was in and out of these places, including psychiatric hospitals, special schools and different family members taking care of him. He attacked those around him, including the family members, and he also tried to commit suicide on numerous occasions. Throughout his youth, he ended up getting into the drug scene and also into alcohol. Now, this is where this all come in, what you were saying, Caitlin. At one of his visits to a psychiatric hospital, Patrick was actually given a diagnosis of a psychopath. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. This is a proper diagnosis here. This wasn't like... Not just a Samantha diagnosis. Yeah, this wasn't a Samantha diagnosis. This is a doctor giving him a proper... This is on paper. This is written down. At one of the detention centres as well, a doctor even said that without intervention, he could go on to become a cold psychopathic killer. He recommended, I could have told you that. I ain't a doctor, but I could have told you that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he also recommended that you could also probably make that recommendation, Caitlin, that he should be committed for life. But he wasn't. Why was he not? Now, Marion, his mum, unfor- she sorry, unfortunately kept bailing him out, which, yeah, that is so infuriating. But when we've got all those, this info right in front of us on the plate, we can say that I bet sort of your thing. house, though, I know, I bet your house, though, is a lot of, like, guilt. Yeah. Because, you know, it's his dad and she was the one that kind of decided to have kids with him and the whole abuse and everything. That is probably a lot of guilt that she blames herself, probably. Again, yeah. Not a doctor. I'm just kind of speculating that there is probably a lot of that where, and, you know, when it's your son, you don't see it as, like, a serial killer. You know, you look at people like dammer etc like the relationship he still had with his gran and his dad and everything like you don't really see that whereas actually it could then end up being that it's like oh, okay you've not got that relationship yeah exactly the whole motherly son instinct as well um but like we said there's no reasoning behind it we don't know what she was thinking but you've pretty much described what it could have been now no one was really a fan of patrick which isn't a shock but some people did take pity on him or at least they were of the belief that everyone deserves another chance at life or the people can change in 1973 one of these trusting or should I say two trusting people, was 63-year-old Father Crean. Father Crean, he was a priest who lived in Shorn, which is a kind of a quaint village in Kent that today has a couple of thousand residents. In His church was St Paul's, and he lived behind this church in his cottage known as the Malt House. This was also a convent, and the nuns lived next door in St Catherine's. But also, fun fact, there is a St Catherine's convent up in Edinburgh. I just passed it this morning. Anyway. Oh, really? Where? Yeah, up at Lauriston, near the place to give blood. Hint, hint. Anyway. Oh, Samantha gave blood this morning. Plug it. You know, well, we all know it. I put it on Instagram. But also, I, there's a St. Catherine's up there, which I did not know. However, private property, you're not allowed in it. Not that I tried. Now, I digress. Father Crean had a daily routine and he was pretty predictable. 
he'd give mass at 7.30 a.m. He'd, he'd do some clergy work and he regularly communicates with Sister Therese, who I think is the mother superior or, you know, she's pretty high up in the convent and she's been there for absolutely years. Father Crane also doesn't cook for himself. So three times a day, he goes over to St. Catherine's, gets his meal on a tray, goes back to his cottage and he eats. One thing though, he did take his tray back, like with his dirty plates, each time. So to be washed, I guess that's kind of decent of him because he doesn't just leave everything to pile up and get the nuns to deal with it. Now, Father Crane also I mean, yes, had... it's decent of him, Samantha, but he also goes across and gets the nuns to feed him every day. No, I know. I'm looking at the positives here. I'm trying to pluck them out, right? He also had a wee Jack Russell, which I believe was also called Jack which I think every Jack Russell is called Jack. But all in all, he lived a pretty simple life and he was filled with routine. But he also had a lot of company because, you know, these people, they have elders, they have a community, they are well known. He also loves a drink. And this is where he meets a man named Patrick. When at the local pub, Father Crane would always buy Patrick a drink when they were at the pub and they became friends. Now, a few months into their friendship, though, Patrick went into Father Crane's house and stole a cheque for £30. The cheque was written out to cash, so that meant that Patrick could just take it to the bank and get the money out. Because back in the day, cheques were all over the place, you know, that's how you, you got money. Now, Patrick didn't just do that, though. He actually changed the three into an eight and then he cashed it out. He got caught by Father Crane, but he didn't want to press charges. So the police did drop it. And all that the father wanted to do was forgive Patrick. And he said, you know what? It's fine what you did, but you can just pay me back just seven pounds a week until it's paid off. Sounds very reasonable if you ask me. However... Mantra, if you buy my Taylor Swift ticket, can I pay you back £7 a week? <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> However, I, no, not that I would do what Patrick's about to do, but yeah, no, it's not happening. Um, he never paid him back and the friendship was pretty much over. Um, and he also moved back to London, Patrick, not father. Now, we are in London and Patrick, he is only about 20 years old, if you can believe it or not. Like, all of this has happened, he is only 20 years old. Now, in July 1973, it's believed that Patrick actually killed a lady called Heidi, who was an au pair, and he hurled her from a train near New Cross. Now, that's... Sorry? Yes. Now, this obviously, in a few years, it'll come out that Patrick did this. He was not caught for this. But, you know, set in the scene, 1973, a lady is pushed out of a train and murdered. Now, that same month, a lady called Mary was beaten to death in her Kentish town apartment. So there is someone going about killing people. Jump to January 1974, when a Stephanie Britton and her four-year-old grandson were stabbed to death at Hadley Green, which is in Hertfordshire. And a few days later, Patrick apparently tossed an, an elderly gentleman to his death from a bridge. Now, we're in February, a month later. He invaded the home in Chelsea of an Isabella Griffiths. 
strangling her to death and plunging a kitchen knife into her stomach. These were all unconnected murders. However, these were apparently solved because Patrick Mackay confessed to these in 1975. Now, you may say, this is crazy, Samantha. He literally just said he wasn't paying back this guy and moved back to London. Why on earth is he killing all of these people? Is this even connected? What are you talking about? But anyway, we're still in 1974. He was now living with his friends in North London. And he then starts to kind of proclaim that he is possessed by demons. So I guess if you had a flatmate who was saying this sort of thing, you would be a bit freaked out. And what happened was he got kicked out of the house for his bizarre behaviour. Now, he also went on to rob houses and he got six months in jail for this on the conviction of burglary. Now, by the autumn, he had settled into a career but not a professional one, because he was purse-snatching and mugging the elderly out of everyone you could do it. Just leave the elderly alone. Now, he also killed three other people in the process. At Finsbury Park, he bludgeoned a 62-year-old tobacconist to death with a piece of a lead pipe. What is this, Cluedo? Sarah Rodwell, aged 92, was beaten to death on her doorstep in Hackney, all to be robbed of a £10 Christmas bonus and in Southend a cafe owner Ivy Davies was also slain to death by an axe with an axe sorry. By March 1975 Patrick was out of control and on the 10th of March he strangled an Adele Price who was an elderly widow in her London apartment. To make it even worse Patrick befriended these ladies and all the, the elderly so Adele kind of became friends with them because you know you're walking down the street oh I'll help you with your bags there miss and then you know you get to chat and, and you help them and you put them in the house etc so he knew these people or some of them he knew some of them obviously he just killed for the sake of it now let's jump ahead just 11 days to the 21st of March 1975 now this date brings us back to Father Crane. This was at first a typical day for Father Crane. You know, that routine I was just talking about. He does mass, clergy work, even cuts the grass and he gets his food from the nuns. However, dinner time was a different story. It was just after 6pm when Sister Therese had a strange feeling as Father Crane had not yet picked up his dinner plate. Now this was strange as like this routine of his, dinner was usually well and truly done by then. So what was holding him up? Now she goes outside and looks at the cottage and she sees Jack the dog out in the front garden, which is pretty strange because usually he's either with the father or at least out on a leash or, you know, he's never just alone out in the garden. So Sister Teresa decides to go back inside and wait a little bit longer just in case he was running late. Because, you know, he may have been caught up with an elder. Or oh, that annoys pub. me, though, when they see something that's like, oh, that's strange. And then they're like, oh, well. Yeah. But then, to be honest, I, could, I think I'd end up being like that, too. Unless it was like screaming at me, being like, Samantha, that there is someone dead but if you, like she's just said that she never that dog's never without the father or never on a lead never off a lead sorry it's both and she's like oh well yeah but then I'd be like oh that's strange let's go in 
five minutes later, then I'd be like, hmm, I've mulled it over. Let's deal with it. You know what I mean? Why do you do this? Well, just hope you're not on the other end of it, okay? Now, anyway, whilst waiting, uh, she got more and more worried, like I said, anybody would. And she looked out again and she saw a light on in the house. So she decided to go over and deliver his tea tray to his house. Now, when she gets there, though, yeah, (laughs) the front door is locked. Now, this is a red flag in itself because Father Crane never locked the front door. And to be honest, we're in a village in the 70s, so probably a lot of folk never locked their doors. Not that I want to Yeah, but a lot of people don't have their dog out without a lead and a lot of people come and get their dinner on time. But alas. Right. Calm down, hun. Now, this is what, it gets better, okay? So, Sister Teresa, she's obviously worried. She goes back to the convent for his keys to let herself in, you know, to check on things. But when inside, no one's home, or at least Father Crane isn't, and all she really notices is his dirty lunch tray in the kitchen. So, again, this is strange because he normally takes his back for cleaning once he's finished eating. So, Sister Teresa rushes back to the convent and calls the police. This, I know... Like you said, Caitlin, it is delayed, but she now does it. Now, well, she better does... late than never, sis. Exactly. Than never. <laughs> she does put out like a little hint, though, to the police, asking if they've heard anything about Father Crane or if they have, like, if they have him in custody, because it's a small village. Everybody knows everyone's business, and it wouldn't be the first time that Father Crane. Why is he in custody? Excuse me. Let me finish sorry, the story. Sorry, you just said if he's in custody, as if we're meant to know what you're talking about. Well, if you let me get to the next line, you'll find out. Because the reason he could have been in custody, or at least with the police, is because Father Crane has had a wee bit too much to drink. You know, it's known that it's not been the first time. You know, he's been out there. He's maybe fallen into a hedge. The police have had to pick him up. Like, it's a small village. This is brilliant. I'm loving this. Well, you might want to tone down your excitement for the next part, just to be... (laughs) No. What is going on? Because it turns out Father Crane didn't actually live alone. He had rented out a room to a man named Mick for some extra income. So Mick too was acting worried when he found out, obviously, with sister entries, like, worried. And he confirmed that he hadn't seen Father Crane all day and that he had just brought Jack in from outside because it wasn't like him to be left outside alone. Now, oh, Mick, thank you, Mick. Mm-hmm. Now, Mick, he did go completely and he searched the whole house. But as the house was actually pretty big, or as in it was like a big cottage, but you know, back in the day when things are built, there's rooms everywhere. It's not like a standard square, you know, everything's everywhere. Now, he goes and checks all of the rooms, but because they lived in kind of, I don't want to say separate quarters because that makes it sound like the house is ginormous, but they did live in separate areas of the house. So he wasn't actually familiar with Father Crane's side. Get what you mean, get what you mean. And he did search it though, nonetheless, but no Father Crane was inside. However, Sister Therese goes over and he, she asks, have you searched the whole house? Which he said he had. But as she's been there for years and years and years, she does another check. Now, this is where the sister gets to a small door in the house that Mick hadn't actually searched because he thought it was just a storage cupboard. But no, no, this was actually the door to the bathroom. 
When the sister opens a door, she finds Father Crean's dead body fully submerged in a bloody bathtub. With blood spatter all up the walls, he was practically fully dressed. He had his duffel coat on, one boot, a sock, trousers, his belt, a hat and a scarf, as well as a rosary draped over his right hand. Oh, a horrific the scene. Rosary. Yeah. Now, this is a horrific scene to walk into, but it does get worse. There was a towel covering his head, and when this towel was removed, it revealed a missing forehead and an exposed brain. The towel also removed some of his brain when it the towel was removed because like it had stuck to it. And police examined the scene and his body, and they believed he had been attacked pretty much as soon as he'd gotten in the door. There was no defence wounds, you know, everything, and he was still fully dressed. The autopsy report showed that he actually had some brain tissue on his fingers and nails, which kind of paints the picture that he had likely touched his open wound at some point on his forehead. So he'd probably been hit in the head right when he got in the door, was in shock and went to touch his head to see what had happened. He also had 19 other visible wounds and internal wounds. He had bruises everywhere, a cut below his left jaw, a cut above his left eyebrow, stab wounds to his lower neck below his left ear, multiple head wounds, not just the big one on his forehead. This was a frenzied attack and this damage had been done with a small wooden handled axe, which the investigators did find. Now, yes, you may be thinking, well, it's Mick. He's lived with them. But no, that makes no sense. Nick hasn't been in the story. Yet you can live with someone does not mean you have to kill them. And in fact, it was not Mick. Now, the inspector did think back to two years ago when Father Crean had been the subject of a theft. Yes, the charges had been dropped, but they didn't really have a good feeling about the guy in the first place. And so he sets off to find the original Czech thief. Now, 23-year-old Patrick Mackay. The inspector turns up at his house or at the house Patrick is currently living in two days later, and Patrick gives himself up right away. He says, thank God you're here, please just arrest me. Yes, I'm the one who killed Father Crane and I need to be stopped. Patrick's response to killing Father Crane was that he just wasn't happy with the way he handled the situation two years prior with regards to the theft. He was annoyed that he asked to get paid back. Now, Caitlin, obviously I would never do this to you if you didn't pay me back, so it's okay, but I'm still not buying your Taylor Swift tickets. Now, proving, oh. <laughs> proving the psychiatrist right, he murdered 11 people from July 1973 until his arrest on the 23rd of March 1975. However, this was not his only murders. He did admit to killing many people, but there's a fine line of trying to claim like him trying to claim the fame of murder that he may not have actually done it so the police did look at unsolved cases and to kind of gather the information they questioned Patrick about these but the ones that he, they were able to give you know proper tidbits of information that wasn't out to the public 
then his confessions could have been more true. So these things could have been the way the room was laid out or how the, the victim was positioned or how the murder was done. So these things that weren't out that, you know, you and I could just go read in the newspaper. That's when they were like, OK, there's a chance he's killed this person. We'll put them on the tally. But look, he's just read this in a newspaper and he wants to get claim the fame to that. So, you know, there was fine lines between all of that. Now, Patrick, get you, get you. now he was charged with five murders in the end, but two charges were dropped through lack of evidence. So, yeah, he's claimed that he's murdered all these people. Again, though, he's only going to get charged for three of them. So in November 1975, the trial took place and there were many questions to whether he was actually fit enough to stand trial. At one point, he would admit to all of these killings, even brag about it, as you know, serial killers do. But at the next, he'd have no recollection of it and deny the whole thing. Now, in the end, he was convicted and sentenced, but due to his actual official diagnosis of the psychiatric disorder, the prosecution dropped the merger charges and only I the official diagnosis. Yeah. Now, this man has been out there with this diagnosis. The murder charges were dropped and he was only tried for manslaughter. Now, this is awful, obviously, but. It does sound like a get out of jail card, but in the end, he was only convicted of manslaughter of Father Crane, Isabella Griffith and Adele Price. He was sentenced, though, to life imprisonment with a 20 year minimum sentence, and he has had his parole denied every single time. He's still alive and he's in his 70s, which makes him the youth. I was about to say, I was like, shut up. Is he still alive? He is still alive. He's one of the UK's longest serving prisoners. He did also legally change his name to David Groves. But, you know, like no matter what you change your name to, he still won't be getting out. In 2022, his parole was also postponed and he went off the rails. He was absolutely raging about this. And he also thinks that there's a huge conspiracy against him on getting out. But all in all, it's because he's a very dangerous man. He's also among, I think, about the 50 or so prisoners in the UK who have been issued with a whole life tariff and they're unlikely ever to be released from prison. Um, there is actually a couple of books written about him that, you know, you can get online. Uh, it really delves into the whole case and also his life and probably more so like his brain. Um, I would have done it and read it before I did this case however as you know Caitlin I am a slow reader so this I would never have got this episode out and um, the one of them is called Psychopath the case of Patrick Mackay by Tim Clark and the other is The Devil's Disciple serial killer Patrick Mackay which is an ebook by a uh, Pete Dove so if anybody is interested in finding out more or you know the actual ins and outs of everything then do look those up so Caitlin do you have thoughts? I actually can't believe I've not heard of him. Like, I'm maybe like, I'm now trying to think, like, maybe I have heard of him. But, like, as, like, I think it's, like, the like when you then started saying he's the UK's, like, longest serving prisoner and stuff like that, I think I was aware of that. But I just think it took me a while to put, like, the two and two together. But yeah. very interesting. It's crazy, like, do you know, I think when you say serial killer, do you know, we always think of our... Like her Ted Bundy's, our kind of um, like Jeffrey Dennis Dallas Nielsen. and stuff. Yeah, we actually forget about the 
the OGs almost and the ones that kind of because that was a serial killer back then it wasn't you know I think as serial killers have developed it's got worse and worse and worse whereas actually that his crimes were horrific but it's just because they weren't as gruesome as some others yeah but they are awful and it's also one of those things as well I think that could have been prevented I know we've said this a lot um mm-hmm. but if the nun had just checked up, the dog on the leads no not that but before before all the murders when Patrick was a young boy with that diagnosis he needed to be locked up like you know things back then I guess his mother could just get him out of it you know if he was locked up people wouldn't have died yeah also it's that thing now that your mum can't really get you out of a psychiatric unit whereas back then obviously she could But let us know your thoughts. Um, it would be interesting to know. And also, if you think, could it have all been down to how his mother being kicked in the stomach whilst pregnant? Did that do something to the brain of the kid? Who knows? But yeah, do let us know because it's an interesting one. 